This is Top Landing Gear. Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear Full Flaps and to a real highlight to end the year on. In October this year, Martin Pert's highly successful three-year tenure as the leader of the Red Arrows drew to a close. Not the ideal year in which to bow out for obvious reasons and in fact because it's been so unusual, Pertie was the only departure from the team, the rest have stayed together. So the only new boy is the new Red One, squadron leader Tom Bolt. Well, Tom was on the Typhoon before first joining the Reds as one of the team in 2015 and in the interim has been an instructor on the Hawk T2 at RAF Valley. The end of the year is in fact a very busy time for the Reds as they begin their work up to what hopefully will be a full display season in 2021. So we were hugely grateful that Tom found time to talk to us about what he hopes to achieve as the new Red One. Well, we're delighted to welcome to Top Landing Gear the new red one for the 2021 season, squadron leader Tom Bold. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. I know you must be extremely busy where we're just entering, what, the beginning of December. How, how's it all going? You're just a few weeks into your, your leadership. Yeah, well, uh, starters, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, and it's great. Yeah, as you say, um, it's busy. We started flying. Uh, we started the workup for the 2021 display season. Uh, so it's great. It's in at the deep end, but it always is with these things. And it's, uh, it's, it's great to be leading the team. How did it come about, Tom? Because you seem to, from, from one report I read, you seem to be quite surprised that you'd been um, selected to be the leader. Uh, yeah, so the whole process started at the uh, end of last year. Um, all the uh, ex-Red Arrows, who are now squadron leaders, who are still within the Air Force, were invited to apply for the position of Red One. Uh, I decided to apply. Uh, I then went through a, a selection process. So I had to go and have an interview with the AOC. Uh, there was a few of us that went to do that. Uh, and then I found afterwards uh, that I was fortunate enough to get to the job. Uh, but there were so many great candidates. Um, like all these things, I just never thought it was going to be me. So it was another one of those pinch yourself moments when they say, oh, we would like you to be Red One. So there's no flying selection part of it for, for leader. It's all just on sort of personality. You put your name forward. Uh, everyone knows your, your background. They've had a look at your reports. Uh, you go down for an interview, which is uh, it's another interview. So it's another daunting thing to do. Uh, and there you found afterwards that um, it's going to be you. And how's your golf game, uh, Tom? Do you have to play a bit of golf during uh, selection? And, uh, you know, you've got, you've got to get up to scratch before you can even think about applying. Well, you see, I'm I'm very fortunate with this one. There are there are two camps in the in the Red Arrows: those that like golf and those that detest golf. Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately for me, I'm I'm a like golfer. So I played quite a bit when I was um, when I was a child growing up. Uh, and then, like anything, joining the Air Force, you're busy. You have children. You don't play as much. Uh, but this is actually my excuse to get back into golf. So I'm. <laughs> oh, that's what are you, yeah. What are you playing off these days, then, Tom? Oh, it depends. It depends. Uh, so secretly, well, no, actually, no, that's a complete lie. I, I reckon <laughs> um, about 18. So red one is a bandit, is what we're saying, basically. Uh, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom, to, how dif different has it been coming? Uh, you, you Obviously, you were on the team as a team member uh, four or five years back. But how different has it been coming onto the team this year as leader in what has been a really unusual year for all the obvious reasons? Because you're basically the, the only new boy, aren't you? And you're red one. I am. So the, the whole of last year's, or the whole of the 2020 team, so reds two to nine, they've all frozen. They've stayed in their positions. And it's only myself that's taken over as red one, um, which has its, it has its challenges. It's got a load of benefits because I'm, I'm taking over a, an established team. Uh, two to nine know what they're doing. Uh, and as you said, I'm, I'm the new boy into it. So I've now got to learn my trade as red one. Um, whilst uh, taking the rest of the team on that journey with me. Uh, and it's quite interesting because every year, on a normal year, we would lose two or three people. 
uh, we get two or three new guys in, we would break the previous display down because we'd have to, because everyone was uh, cognitively, cognitively conditioned, easy for me to say, into that show. So they knew the shapes that were happening, they knew when they were coming left, when they were coming right, what they were doing. And that was ingrained into what they were doing. In a no normal year, people leave, then people change positions. So they will move further away, so will become synchro. And then that process all starts again. And then you build that process up from, from first principles, really, up until you've got the show ready to go. This year, we haven't had that. Uh, Reds 2 to 9 are the professionals in their position. They've been doing it for years. So they know exactly what they're doing. But I have to have somehow gone and broken this or their display down so that they're not cognitively in that process of they know or they think they know what's coming next. So to do that, I have gone back into the building block approach with them. Normally that goes through the crawl, walk, run stages. But with these guys, I've been able to go through that very quickly, but we still have to do it. Um, so I started flying with uh, reds two, three, four, five. Uh, we started a hike by just looping and rolling. So they could get used to my voice, which is very different from the previous leaders. Uh, we worked that down to display heights, and then we've looked at the new display, the sequence, the shapes. But then I was very cognizant as well that actually just for the very first maneuver, I wanted a different, um, different formation and just for us to turn a different way so that the guys weren't then used to uh, what they were used to previously. So would you How say you're changing, you're changing the display less than you would normally as a new leader or, or more because, oh, of, because of the situation you're in? Um, maybe a bit of both. I mean, actually, I've got, I've got the luxury of um, their training requirements are minimal. It's mine. I, I'm really <laughs> the one that's got the training requirements. So that means that I can go through the whole repertoire of red arrows, maneuvers, shapes, everything that we do, and I could, I could probably pick the most complicated ones out of it, and these guys would be able to track it very easily. I mean, we have a we have the whole winter training period now in order to to put that together, and that's what we've been doing today. So earlier today, we've gone and flown two of the uh, two sorties of flying the most complex shape that we do, or the hardest thing for Reds two, three, four, and five to do. And um, yeah, they they kind of cracked it straight away. So um, that is hopefully what what we're looking to do for for next year. Are all nine of you up together now at the moment, John? Uh, we've just been flying at sevens. So, um, which is actually pretty advanced for where we are. Uh, there's still yeah. still plenty to put together, but just to get reds two, three, four, and five to fly in the shape that's furthest away for me, then we've had to had to put up um, two guys synchro six and seven that fly directly behind me, just uh -huh. so the guys can be further back. Uh, so we have started doing that. Um, we won't look at putting the nine together probably until February, January, February time, because we'll, we'll have got everything together by that stage. All the second half maneuvers. Uh, worked out the timing between red one and red six, how that's all going to work. And then, yeah, we'll be looking at February and then into March, flying nines, and then and then we'll see what happens for the season. <laughs> and how are you finding it different as leader? Obviously, it's, it's a completely different skill set mm. as leader than it is as, as clinging in there at red eight or nine. Um, yeah. how, how are you finding that? It's, yeah, it's very different, as you said. So... Um, when I first joined the team, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, so I kind of pitched up and, and you go through that whole process of winter training of, of thinking, will I, ever, will I ever get the hang of this? You know, will it click at some point? Uh, and it does, and it does for everyone. Um, but that was very much a, a voyage of discovery. You get through that. Okay, fine. I've then spent three years away from the team. Coming back as Red One. So uh, I know what the team is all about, but I've never, I've never done the Red One job before. Uh, so again, it's, it's another voyage of discovery. Um, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I have a handover period. So I had a, had a handover period with the previous, my predecessor, squad leader Martin Perks. So I was able to shadow him, fly with him. So he was able to show me part of the ropes. But then, like all these things, it's um, there are big ski jump moments where you, you just have to go and fly it and do it yourself uh, and make sure that uh, what you're saying is right. Because that I can't I can't lie to this team. So if I make a mistake, yeah. It's that integrity and humility that we need for all the team pilots, and that has to come from me. So at the moment, with two to nine being the experienced guys and, and me being the one learning my trade, yeah, I have to start there all the time and go, actually, yeah, fellas, that, that was me that made that mistake. I, I rolled in too quickly there. I pulled too much G at this point. I under-G'd you at this point. Um, just so that they know what's going on, and they, as I said before, they, they can come on that journey with me. 
That's, do you think that's been quite refreshing for the whole team for, for to be this way around? Because as you said, you know, you're learning from them, but they've got to learn from you too, just in terms of, I think you said your cadence, your timing, all sorts of things. So it must be actually quite odd for everybody, I think, at <laughs> least initially. Oh, absolutely. Because they would have been so used to the previous team leader's voice and the way that he did things. Uh, and I will be doing things subtly different. Um, so it is, yeah, they, they will get used to it. But again, it kind of goes back to that conditioning before. It had to kind of break away with that previous conditioning that they get used to because some of the some of the inputs that we're putting in will be subtly different. So they do need to get used to that. And I'm I'm pretty certain it's difficult for those guys to to forget some of the stuff that they've learned, but then keep the core kind of principles and the core techniques of red arrows flying, but now with a different leader. You mentioned earlier about um, you know you sort of know the the array of, of different formations and different maneuvers that the red arrows can do do you ever invent new ones do you put you know your own spin on it or, or, or and and a sort of a rider to that has anyone ever tried to invent something that's so awful it just didn't work and had to be binned <laughs> uh, so new maneuvers um yeah the team is constantly looking at ways to improve and um yeah new maneuvers new shapes that we can put together but the Red Arrows have got such a strong history and pedigree and been going since 1964 that most of them have been trialled and tried. <laughs> but in the last five, last five or six years, there have been at least three or four new shapes and new manoeuvres that have been put in there. Uh, and it would be remiss of us not to think about it all the time. So we look at all the other display teams out there, whether it be the, the French, the Italians, uh, the Americans, see what they're doing, see what they're doing with their aircraft. Um, thinking then how we might want to adapt some of that, put it into our display, would it work, would it not? Um, so the process for us to go about putting new shapes or new maneuvers in there is we'll, we'll sit down, clearly think about what we want to do. Uh, if it's a new shape, then fine, it's probably just going to be on a whiteboard, have a look at how that would work, uh, and then get approval to start training for it and then build it up. And we'll go back to that building block approach. So it would probably be, if it's a new maneuver, just flying with one aircraft, seeing how that works, would we have to bring that down in height, then building aircraft onto it. If it's a new shape, we'd be starting off with probably just Enid, the front five, or maybe the front three, then add four and five, and then build it up from there. So everything we do is, is a graduated process. And at every stage of that, there is, a, there is a review process. How's it going? Does it work? And if it doesn't work, then yeah, as he said, we will just, we'll just get rid of it. When you first think of an idea, Tom, I mean, could it literally be as much as you're sort of in the bath or lying in bed at night and you think, that <laughs> yeah, might work, we could give that. And then is it is it then you literally Why is he sleeping in the up? bath? <laughs> I, I thought it was in the bath, but But is it as much as you might literally then go onto a piece of paper or is it with your hands? Is it model aircraft? Is it, is it what's, the, what's the sort of the germination process from the spark of an idea to maybe it being accepted as a as a as a maneuver i think the first thing is uh, you have that sanity check to begin with so as soon as you think of something and we're, we're going through that process at the moment where we're we're looking at the possibility of new maneuvers and and someone will come up with it and, and this wasn't me um have an idea of what they want to do they will voice it just for that sanity check and have we have the team done this before um, was there a reason why the team has never done this before? And sometimes there probably is a good reason why. <laughs> have that sanity check and then go, all oh, right, okay, yep, that sounds sensible. Um, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And the beauty is we've got, it's not just the nine display pilots. We've got uh, we've got the officer commanding there who was a previous red one. Uh, we've got Red 10 who's seen loads of um, supervised for the last three slash four years. So we'll just sit down and work all that through to the point where you go, actually, yeah, I think there is some merit in, in progressing this. And then we'll have a look at actually how we're going to progress it um, to all the aspects of it and uh, really kind of focus on the safety aspects of it. A, is it safe to do? And ultimately, if it's not safe to do or even bother practicing, well, actually, at that stage, that's probably the first cut where you go, actually, no, we're not going to do it. Well, every new boss in whatever walk of life, when they come in, they want to make their mark, which inevitably means making some changes. So in terms of those formations, Tom, ha have you come to the job with an idea of, of new formations that, that you want to try and implement? Uh, no, I haven't come to the job with that. We'll, we'll see how that process goes. And 
it, it won't just be me. I mean, I'm very lucky as, as Red One. I get to choreograph the shows in Which Way Do We Turn, uh, Where The Shapes Come. And then between one and six, we look at the second half manoeuvres and how that goes together. But that is all kind of really within my gift to put together. But in terms of, of new manoeuvres and new shapes, um, I don't have a monopoly on that. So I will open it up to everyone and say, actually, all of those team pilots who have got great ideas, who have done stuff, it's like, well, look, you know, what's, uh, what do you think we should do? Have you got any ideas? Um, but in terms of me putting my mark on things, uh, the team has been around, as I said, since 1964, and mm. they've forged such a reputation. And even being a team pilot to being a red one, we're only caretakers of that red suit. We only get it for a sh really short period of time. And, it, and it's our job to make sure that we uphold those standards and the reputation that the team have had. And if I can leave the team after being in charge of it for three years in as good a place as I've left it, then I'd be delighted. Clearly, I would, I'm going to try to improve it forever I can, but it's, uh, the team is such a, in such a great place now that I just wanted to maintain that standard, really. Yeah, yeah. If I do that, I will walk out the door being the happiest person there is. <laughs> Tom, <laughs> is it important to be aware of the history of the, of the, uh, of the Reds, uh, going right back, and maybe even their predecessors, you know, sort of the squadron display teams? Sorry, sorry, say that again. Is it important for all members of the Reds to be aware of this of, the, of their history going right back to '64, maybe even the squadron display teams before that? Oh yeah, hugely. Um, when you're selected as part of um, as part of one of the team uh, team pilots, uh, one of those part of the selection process is an interview, uh, and during that interview, we will ask them about the squadron's history. Uh, what do they know about it? Yeah, going back to. Um, when it started and then and then what happened before that and it is it's really important because as, as I said they you know all of those team pilots and all those team leaders have forged the Red Arrows into what they are now and, and the reputation that it's got so it's so important that we we recognize um, because we wouldn't be here without them. Um, some uh, display teams, uh, particularly the American ones, seem to sort of pride themselves on on how close together they can get and how uh, you know they're 18 inches. They don't then seem to change those formations in front of anyone. They seem to go off to the Pacific, rejig the formation, and, and then come back. Um, the spacing of a of a red arrows display is that something that you just worked out is is what works best for all occasions, or or is that something that you you, you sort of play with how how close you get to each other? Uh, I think when you you look at a display team, you look at the aircraft and, and what they've got, and you look at the strengths and you look at the weaknesses. Uh, we're fortunate that we've got nine aircraft, um, and actually the, the European display teams are, are similar. So we fly a training aircraft. Uh, we've got nine of us. The French are very similar. The Italians are very similar. Uh, you mentioned the Americans. You fly, you fly incredibly close, which is it's a phenomenal bit of skill that they've got. But they've got, they've got fewer aircraft, but then they fly their, their frontline fast jets. So, you know, they go fast, they go loud, um, they can fly them really close together. Those are their strengths. That's how they want to display it. Um, we have nine. We like doing, you know, uh, bigger shapes, um, more complicated shapes, which yeah. we always want to have in front of the crowd. Yeah. In the, in the first half, having everything in front of the crowd is easy because, um, well, I say it's easy, and that's my <laughs> uh, So everyone will follow me and we'll all be together as that nine. So I can just put it there and we can... Uh, change shapes, whether it be in loops, ends, but we can do that. Uh, and then in the second half, we do. We we earn our money as a display team by having something in front of that crowd all the time. So between myself and Red Six, who's uh, the synchro leader, but also in charge of uh, the back section, Jippo, we make sure that there's something in front of the crowd all the time. So as soon as they finish their manoeuvre, uh, I will turn their smoke off and I will be straight back in front of the crowd. And as soon as I finish my manoeuvre, Six will turn my smoke off and he will be in front of the crowd. <laughs> Uh, and that's really where we earn our money. And it doesn't matter what the conditions are, whether it's really overcast, so it's very difficult to see, whether there's a really strong wind from one direction, which will make the timings more tricky. Um, and the the Hawk is a, is a wonderful aircraft, uh, but everything's analog, and it's all done on a stopwatch and a compass, and, and that's how we make sure everything is in front of the crowd. Um, so it's great, but you do you do work hard for it. You, you've just come off the Hawk T2, I think, train as a, an instructor at Valley, haven't you, uh, Tom? Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, it a, is it a step backwards is not really the, the correct phrase, but do you feel coming back to the T1 it is a bit of a sort of 
uh, retrograde is also not the comment I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. put across, but you know what I mean. Do you feel you're stepping I, I back I know, a little I know, bit? I know exactly what you mean. And yeah. the, the analogy with all these things are the, the T1 is like a vintage sports car, um, and it, it feels like that when you get into it. Uh, the T2, which I've just flown, is it, it's got the cockpit, which is very similar to a Typhoon, um, which is, I mean, that is a wonderful aircraft. So it's all glass, it's got a HUD, it's just like a Typhoon, really. So we can train people straight on that into the Typhoon. And that is a Formula One sports car. It really is. It's got all the technology. It's got all the performance. Um, but then you go, actually, what do you want to fly? And and stepping back into the T1, the aircraft is just brilliant. I just sit in it. It feels right. The hands go to the right place. Just to set the powers, it, it's just wonderful. I love flying it. It's And you get to feel everything. So all the buffets, uh, all the power of the aircraft, you just you just feel it. And it is a, it's a wonderful aircraft to fly. Mm. Does that mean that T two wouldn't make a good a good display aircraft in in a in formation? Uh, uh, there's no reason why it wouldn't. No, uh, again, the T two is T two is a great aircraft, um, but it, it's just it's just more modern. It, it's got all the all the bells, whistles, uh, the head up display, the TV screens. It, it's got everything, it, and I'm certain that would make a, a great display aircraft as well. But there's just just something lovely about the T one. The T one will probably be going out around 2030 i think i'm right in saying yes. tom so so this is a little bit early in your career as leader to answer <laughs> such a question but but what would be the next step after the t1s go is it the t2 or do you even look at maybe frontline jets and and bring in the typhoon which will probably be going out of service itself uh, yeah that's that's a great question uh, and one that we'll need it'll need to be answered by the air force at some point at some point soon about yeah what do we do next uh, I, I don't have that answer to you, for you. Uh, the T1 is going to be going out for, as you said, until about 2030. So we've got another 10 years. Mm. But we, we will have to start looking at some point soon about, about what we do next. And what would your preference be, Tom? Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a great Come on, point. you've got to answer the question. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think um, it, any of those aircraft. So, I mean, the T1 is <laughs> wonderful. The T2 is great. That will make a, make a wonderful um, display asset. Uh, but then so the Typhoon to be a British aircraft, doesn't it, for the RAF to fulfil its wider role as a representative of everything about the UK when it's travelling abroad? It would be nice if it was. And that is one of the roles that you know we, we do and we pride ourselves on, being able to uh, represent uh, the very best of British UK PLC by, by picking up our display and moving it wherever we have to move it. And it's great. We can we can rock up anywhere, whether we do a display, whether we do a fly past. Uh, we can stick the red, white, and blue on, and that is it. You know, uh, <laughs> we are representing the UK, whatever that be, and whatever the aims of us being there. Then all of a sudden, it's very iconically British when we come. We... Speaking of um, foreign tours, do you have anything planned in the next year or two that you can tell us about, or is uh, is that all in the planning stages, or the not to be revealed? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> It would be great. I mean, there's an awful lot going on at the moment, um, but it'd be great at some point in the next next few years if we could, yeah, if we could go abroad and uh, promote UK PLC, uh, Great British Excellence, and, and and whatever we need to be promoting at the time. Uh, the tour of America looked uh, like it was incredibly well received, and I imagine it was probably an enormous amount of fun as well. I, I guess you weren't part of that, but. Um... No, I yeah, I watched the documentaries. I wasn't part of it. I watched the documentaries with such pride of the team uh, and watching what they were doing uh, and and the impact that they had when they were in North America. Uh, I also watched it with a with a just a touch of jealousy because it. it... <laughs> <laughs> now, um, your your predecessor, um, Perty, Scotty Martin Pert, uh, he was obviously one of the I suppose had to take the red eyes into this area of social media and all this podcast rubbish um, that uh, <laughs> you have to put up with. Is that something you, you're, you're keen to, to, to do as well, to, to keep the, the social media side of things going? Not, not after this one. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, and it's an important, it's an important part of the job. Um, the, the red arrows have their, a really strong social media presence. Uh, so I will, I'll have mine, but it, it won't nearly be as strong as the Red Arrows. And, and that is the one that's important because that's where all the messaging comes from. Um, we're, we're fortunate that all the team pilots have, have a social media presence. Um, and yeah, we'll just see where I'll be. I'm, I'm sure mine will never be as um, as extensive as Squad Leader Perts was, but we'll see how we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
Yeah, he's out on his bike taking pictures of aeroplanes now. He's been it's sending some great tweets. He's grown a beard. He looks a right mess. But um, <laughs> Tom, what's um, assuming, hoping that next year we we sort of return to normality? What's the plan from here on in? From from January onwards, you, you say around February time you probably form up into a nine ship. Have you then got Spring Hawk further down the line, uh, going out to Cyprus to get your display authorization? Is that all as as normal? Uh, yeah, that all that planning is going ahead. Uh, nothing's finalised yet, but we we continue to fly at Scampton uh, on a regular re- regular winter training, pretty much at the moment. Uh, that will go on. We will build up the nine ship here. We'll fly as a nine here, and then hopefully uh, we will move abroad uh, around Easter, so April May time. Uh, clearly depending what what happens uh, in the wider context mm. but yeah that, that is the plan we'll, we'll try and move abroad because those um whether it be greece whether it be cyprus it it's invaluable training for us really we get very used to flying at scampton so a, a nine thousand foot runway uh, we know the widths we know the, know the dimensions we know everything around where we are so we're, we're incredibly comfortable and used to flying at scampton where we earn our money is when we're able to lift that up and and put it somewhere else uh, and going abroad gives us that option of flying um at other sites whether it be another airfield overseas because for synchro when they're uh, they're pointing it to each other flying 100 feet above the ground trying to miss each other by 100 feet and you're flying <laughs> over a very glassy sea then that can become very tricky mm. and over the sea there are no kind of definitive points for them to to point at so how do they do that and now that's that's an art form for those guys, but they need to go and practice it in order to do it. So therefore, we can then literally pick up our display and move it anywhere around the world. Uh, and we will never, we don't have to practice anywhere. We will just look at maps. Uh, although now there's a lot of Google imagery and everything else to look at. <laughs> but we'll we'll sit down, we'll look at it all, uh, decide what points we're going to be aiming for. We'll brief it all, and then the first time we'll pitch up and we'll see the site is is when we see it, and we can then go and execute our display. But we that's can, amazing. But we can only really do that by by training that way. Um, mm. So that's why that is so important. And and the weather's great as well, because then we can guarantee that we can fly three times a day, fly whether it be the full show, the rolling show, the flat show, it doesn't matter. Mm. We, can, we can train how we want and when we want when we're out there. Having been a synchro pair leader, Tom, how do you line up in mm. that opposition pass when you're out at sea? Yeah, well, it depends. You use what you've got, really. I mean, we kind of use it wave technique, and, and I kid you not, we'll, we'll point at a wave, uh, and, and that's what we'll aim for once we've decided that that's what we're going to use. <laughs> but we'll triangulate it. Uh, now, whether that is... The waves uh, not move. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they'll all move together, so... It, yeah. um, we'll triangulate that's a helicopter pilot's question. <laughs> <laughs> you will triangulate it off the ground. So if um, if you've got a shoreline, fine. You'll, you'll kind of line it up a little bit with that. You, you get very used to judging then distances, whether it be our 230-meter line. Uh, and we get used to that because we've trained for it all winter. So we know what that distance looks like. Uh, we'll then transpose that pretty much just looking out the cockpit and go, right, actually, you know, I think it's that point in the sea that I want to aim at. So you use all of those things that you've got going for you. And sometimes you just use it on the fact that I know I've broken at this point with my cadence. It's about this long. Right, I'm going to turn in now. Uh, and then you point yourself down and you point at each other. Um, and it's great that contract you have is six and seven. The trust you have with each other is is huge. And, and that builds up. Um, six's job as a synchro leader is to set the line, maintain it. And seven's job is just to miss him. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of trust. <laughs> um, and nine, nine times out of ten, it works. Probably <laughs> a few more than that. It's it's another double barrel question, which is probably some journalistic rule against this. But um, in your time as a as a red as a team member, um, what was the hardest thing that you you found, and what are you expecting to be the hardest thing as a, as a leader? <laughs> so the hardest thing that I found as a as a team member was right at the start. It, it's learning it's learning the the red arrows techniques of formation flying. Um, you, you pitch up into the team having you know at least 1,500 hours behind you. I'd flown the typhoon. I'd flown formation. Um, I was instructed previously, so I'd taught people how to fly formation. So you, you kind of think that you know what you're doing, and then um, you, you then try and do it as a red arrow and realize it's <laughs> just not the same. And what I mean by that is uh, normally when you're um, flying formation on the front line, you just follow people. So you'll watch an aircraft 
go and you'll follow him and, and everyone else will follow him. And that's absolutely fine. That's, that's how it works on the front line. And that's how you get faster gets around. But in the red arrows, it doesn't work like that because you all have to move exactly the same time in order to make it look like, you know, we're all welded together as one. And in order to do that, we, we do timing. And it's all done on the boss's cadence, uh, now my cadence. So if we just want <laughs> to turn right, for example, it will be a coming right now. And on the end of now is when I will put my cadence in as team leader in order to start coming right. Mm. That's fine. So for Reds two and three who are either side of me, they just have to go just a fraction before the end of now to start putting their input in. Because my aircraft is going, they're going, which is fine for two, three. But then when you've got four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine who are even further away, you know, as soon as they've heard the fact that I've said right or left, they're going. They've started oh, to put yeah. input in. And when you're as we are in some of our shapes, when we're anywhere between six feet and 12 feet apart from each other, you're putting an input in, which is moving towards the other aircraft before they've even gone. But you have utter faith that they're going to start to move and go. And it's that timing which you have to, which takes, takes the time uh, in order to get ingrained in you. So rather than flying by what you see, you're flying by what you hear. Uh, mm which takes, takes a huge amount of time to detune your body to yeah. kind of ignore what you're seeing and go with what you're hearing. Yeah, wow. So, uh, so a serious question, but maybe a slightly odd one. If, if, but based on what you said about trust and the timing being so vital, if you ever wake up on a Monday morning and you're just not feeling right, you're, when you're going, would you expect your guys to be, look, I'm just not on it today. For whatever reason, doesn't know what it is, would you expect the guys to come to you and say, it's not happening today for, and, and drop out of, of, of training? Would you rather that than fly sub-optimally, if that's the word to use? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, that, is, that comes all down to whether they're fit to fly or not. Um, we're very lucky in the military. There is no pressure to go and do that. If at any point you are not feeling right to go flying, for, for whatever reason that might be, and there are a whole multitude of reasons that could be, but if you're not feeling fit, hand on heart, to go flying, you don't go flying. And that's kind of been in, ingrained in, in all of us throughout our time through training, our time on the front line. So yeah, the guys are more than happy to come and do that. And the beauty is every day we have a, we have a met brief. I get to look them all in the eye uh, and see what they're actually looking like. And you can tell when some of them are tired. And the beauty is that I'm living with them. I'm living through that. So I know if I'm tired, they're probably going to be tired as well. But in terms of being slightly off your game, uh, that's a really interesting one because uh, no one is on their game all the time. We all have bad days. We all have bad days. But then that is the, you know, the how you can tell that you've got a really good team. So if someone is ever so slightly off their timing, then no one else reacts to it. They go with theirs and no one else will notice. The guys in the team will notice because it's been harder work. But if someone's just ever so slightly off the timing, as long as everyone else goes, no one really will notice. We'll notice, but they won't. And that is the real mark or the hallmark of a great team where, you know, someone's not, not quite performing at hundred percent, but everyone else is and, and you don't notice. And that's, yeah, we pride ourselves on that as well. Mm -hmm. that's fascinating. And what are you expecting to be the hardest thing as a, as a leader? I reckon my biggest challenge, I'm not aware of what that's going to be yet. So just starting as a team leader. So the very first sources of me going flying uh, with the guys on the wing um, them getting used to, to my cadences and me doing everything right. Uh, there are, you know, there are so many imposter syndrome moments in this job where you stand up and you go, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure this is me, but you stand up and you do it, and and that's part of it. That that was a challenge, and I'm certain, I'm certain there will be, you know, so many more. Um, but they're, they're they're not just for me to kind of um overcome it's for us to overcome it as a team and again that that's kind of the hallmark of the team where, where we do that together so yeah i mean it'll be me standing up there but i can only do that with all the rest of the guys behind me mm. Talk, talking of the team tom um it goes without saying that your support team circus and um the blues are more than critical to the survival and the functioning of the team um how closely do you work with those guys on a day-to-day -day basis i imagine very closely. Yeah, we do, and it, it's the whole it's the whole squadron. So yeah, the blues we've got the we've got the circus, we've got our engineers, but then it, it's even bigger than that. We've got all our administrative staff, we've got our ops staff, um, we've got our PR team, uh, we've got the logistics side of it, we've got our MT drivers, we've got the guys that 
service our flying kit that we go with. Uh, we've got the guys that, you know, put the dye, dye in, just put the diesel in. Um, all of those people, all those people have to be on top of their game in order to make it work. So the, the public the public only see the nine aircraft that are flying in front of them. But in order to make that work, it is a monumental effort from everyone. Uh, and they do, everyone has to work, um, you know, to the top of their game in order to, to do it. But working in that environment is brilliant because everyone knows exactly what we're doing. We're all working for that one common goal, which is to put that aircraft on the line and be able to put the best display that we can in front of the public, wherever that might be. So, yeah, they all know their role and they all know how critical it is. So that makes it a wonderful place to work. We do work really closely with them. And we kind of have to because, you know, when we go and we go to some really uh, remote places, um, then we have to work together. And, and the trust that I was talking about before, which is between all the team pilots, six and seven, when they're pointing at each other, the guys on the wing, when I'm turning that, that trust it is for them to move. Well, that's kind of implicit around the team. We have utter trust in the fact that everyone else is doing their job as well as they can. And, and that's why it all works so well together. And in relative terms, I guess selection for support staff, die team, blues, circus, is it in its own way just as challenging as it is for uh, you guys flying the aircraft? Yeah, the circus, the, um, the bunch of engineers uh, every season who get to fly in the back seat who will be the guys that will service the aircraft whenever we land. So they will fly with us, we'll land, they'll get out, they'll service, fix, do whatever they need to do in order to make that aircraft airworthy to then go and fly, whether it be another transit or a display. Uh, that's that's quite a coveted role for those guys. So, yeah, they, they're they very keen to get them, um, and it's great to have them on board when we do. Traditionally, um, <clears throat> Red Arrow's debriefs have always been fairly brutal affairs. Um, obviously, for, for good reason, uh, because you want to get the best out of everyone, um, and it, and you know nothing leaves the, the briefing room if you like. Is that something you 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 continue? Has that softened at all, or are we still you know for the sake of the team? Are you still a sort of do you debrief as you see it? Oh no, you're going to have to ask them that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I debrief it as I see it. I don't think it's brutal. I just think we're we're really honest, and it's that. Mm. You know, it's that humility and integrity that you just need from everyone. Um, well, our debriefing style isn't that different to, to normal uh, military flying debriefing. Uh, you, you look at it in all the same stages. So firstly, you've got to identify that when something went wrong. Uh, then you've got to figure out why it went wrong. And then lastly, you've got to understand how to fix it so it's not going to happen again. And that is something that is kind of ingrained in us. So we, we go through that brief fly debrief process the whole way through our careers. Um, and we just refine it a little bit. So we've got a we've got a few techniques that we use. So we'll just call each other by our number. So, so nothing's personal in that um, debrief, and nothing ever is personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beauty is, everyone is going through that iteration and that process themselves. They're, they've done it when they're flying, so it's great in the air when you see that constant improving. So uh, when we're practicing loops or or just maneuvers, we'll do it a few times in one sortie uh, and watching that learning curve because whilst whilst the team pilots putting those inputs in, they'll put one in and go, actually, no, that wasn't right. They'll very quickly go through that cycle that I talked about, and then the next time they'll, they'll have got it right. And then you watch the debrief, you watch it on the tape, and you, you're watching on a, on a high-definition big screen, with, and there's nowhere to hide from it. Uh, <laughs> and there shouldn't be. And there's nowhere to hide from me as well as, as the team leader, because I will make mistakes. So it's that humility that we then have throughout the whole team to go, yeah, I made a mistake there. Right, this is what happened. This is why it isn't going to happen again. And we go through that. There is, in all the displays that I've flown, there's never been a perfect one. Um, <laughs> but I don't think there ever will be one that I'll be involved in. So we are constantly <laughs> striving, or it's that constant pursuit of excellence and, and how do you get there? So, yeah, in all of those debriefs, it's really important that everyone watches it and, and figures out, yeah, I was a little bit off there, I was a little bit off there, and, and why. Um, I don't think that's brutal because we all have that common goal, and that is how we get to that common goal. Uh, and the public expect it now because they've seen perfection or as close as you can get to it f- for years now with the red arrows. And, and we all watch with a very critical eye. Actually, we were up at Scampton mid-October, um, Tom, and we saw you go up as a four-ship. Right, and um, there were all sorts of comments flying around. No, you look great. You look great. <laughs> Particularly you. Your position yeah, in front looked perfect. Yeah, Three was out, yeah. by the way. Three was out if you never needed. Uh... Yeah, I was that. that's the beauty of being in the lead. I'm the only one that isn't. Yes, <laughs> exactly. 
Um, Tom, speaking of, of Scampton, I think it'll be during your time as Red One that the move out of Scampton and over to Waddington will, will take place in uh, 2022. That's going to be the end of an era, isn't it, for, for the Reds and, and possibly quite disruptive. It's great that we're staying in Scam. Uh, sorry, it's great that we're staying in Lincolnshire. Lincolnshire mm. feels like the home of the Red Arrows because we've been here for, for quite a while. But but moving for the Red Arrows isn't isn't new. Uh, the team has had loads of bases in the past. Um, mm. It has moved to Waddington previously, briefly. It's moved to Cranwell, briefly, uh, and then it's been back at Scampton. Um, yeah, it it's like anything. It it will be a challenge to move the team. Um, but it'll be one that we'll overcome. Um, and it's all those individuals that I spoke about before, whether it be the engineering, you know, mm. our team, the administration team. We all know we'll have to do it. And it's just another thing or another challenge that we will we will meet head on, we'll overcome, we'll move, and, and that will be it. Yeah, yeah. Tom, Andy, your um, PR guy, who I've been uh, talking to a lot, has been incredibly helpful to setting this up said i might like to ask you about putting your jet against a team gb olympic sprinter over 100 meters what was this ah. uh, <laughs> yes so it's a, it a tv show um which i believe was called it's not rocket science um, oh yes yes it was looking at it was looking at acceleration so uh, over 100 meters who is who's going to be faster is it going to be a red jet or is it going to be a team gb sprinter uh, actually when you do the maths it, it, it works out quite you know, tight because, um, yeah, his acceleration off the mark is incredible. Uh, moving a reasonably heavy aircraft, even though our, our thrust and our power is, is greater, that momentum take, takes further to get into. Uh, so it's quite tight. I mean, ultimately we won, but it was uh, <laughs> quite tight. Were, were you from a, you were from a standing start on the ground rather than flying? Uh, yes, correct. Yeah, we were, we were both standing start on the ground. Yeah, up on the flag, down it came and, and off we went. Goodness. Uh, it, what, what are you, the Typhoon or the Hawk? No, this is in the Hawks. This is on the team previously. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, we were lined up down the runway um, uh, and watching the sprinter go to my left. And, yeah, as soon as the flag went down, he was off. Uh, and I had that moment of going, I'm never going to catch him. <laughs> yeah, slowly, That's fantastic. Slowly, it slowly clawed him in. And, yeah, by the 100-meter mark, um, yeah, we won. Yeah, oh, I love it. You, you can't remember who it was, the, the runner. It's an unfair question. And he is incredibly fast. Oh, wow. Oh, what a lovely thing to do. Uh, Top Gear did a, a, a similar sort of thing with an F-35 Lightning going around a circuit. I can't remember which airfield with uh, one of the top landing guys guys driving a, a car. And they had a race. Of course, the tight turns, <laughs> the car over the over the F-35. Well, I don't know if you caught that, but it was it, along similar lines. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and I think there's been a few. I think um, the Typhoon's done one with a Bugatti before as well. So, yeah, yeah, all interesting challenges. Yeah, yeah. So another another simplistic question from me, I'm afraid. What, um, and maybe you can answer this retrospectively in your time past with the Reds, what gives you the biggest buzz as a Red Arrow pilot? And I guess I'm meaning during displays, but maybe just generally. Kind of probably the biggest buzz, <laughs> I, was, I was probably the most nervous for it, was my very the very first public show that we went to do. Um, so you, you go through all the winter training, uh, in my first year, and you go, yeah, okay, we're ready for this. And then you pick up at the first show, put the smoke on for the first time, and you realise, actually, this is it. You know, there are loads of people watching this. Uh, and I felt the pressure on that one. Um, after that, you then get into the kind of the season and, and you're flying. Uh, this show, it doesn't, never really becomes normal because what we're doing is, isn't that normal. But you, you get very used to it and you just, you just concentrate on exactly what you're doing. Uh, and you don't really kind of, yeah, get get sort of nervous, get that excitement. You're very kind of level with it. Um, in terms of, yeah, kind of what's the, yeah, what's the best position or, or best things that we've done? Uh, the best position that I've flown in so far, and, and I'm discounting red one as I've only just taken over. Uh, probably It's probably red six. Uh, some of the flying that you do at Synchro is incredible. Um, yeah, it's, it's low, it's fast. Um, you are missing each other by by not much. That is incredible. Um, and then also being Red Seven, doing that in your first year, and some of the uh, some of the formation flying techniques we use is is a, is a bit wacky. And what I mean by that is that we do inverted formation flying. So flying um, flying a loop, for example, we're inverted over the top. That's fine, but we're always pull, pulling positive G, so everything goes in the same same way, same day. 
the inverted formation flying is uh, when you do it straight and level. Uh, so six and seven will fly straight down the line. They'll both roll upside down. And then seven is now formating on red six, but you're upside down. So if you want to go, you want to go left, you kind of go right on the stick. If you want to go right <laughs> on the stick, you have to push. Uh, so yeah, that, that is a bit that is a bit wacky. And the first time you do that, it's another one of those kind of ski jump moments. Yeah. You just, just go and do it for the first time, and it makes sense when you're there. But you do have to think about it before you, you actually go and fly it. So uh, some some people might ask. Uh, what Mrs. Bold thinks about another three years without any weekends uh, and no summer holidays. Haven't you done enough? Is that, has that conversation ever happened? Uh, yes, that conversation. <laughs> but like, like anything in the military, being, being part of the military is really demanding in the family. And it is. And um, I came off a, a busy typhoon tour into a busy Reds tour the first time round. We then spent three years... Uh, valley instructing so so less time away and now we've come back to this one which is it is going to be more time away and more demanding and more challenging for the family but i only get to do that by having by having such a supportive family around me um yeah it's it, you need that stability and i have that stability at home and have yeah that that support network with me and i i couldn't do what i'm doing if it wasn't down to Hmm. that having yeah such an understanding family and ultimately it allows me to to have my boyhood dream <laughs> wonderful tom actually on the, on the off the back of that do you feel pressure doing this job over any other job you've done uh, there are certain times you do um but it's how you you compartmentalize that pressure um and we can do that by uh you, you tend to feel that pressure when you're you're not busy, or you know you have a little bit of time or preparation time to begin with, where you, you, you think about the what ifs and stuff. And it, it wouldn't be human, I don't think, if you didn't feel that pressure. But as soon as we we get into that cycle of we're briefing it, then your your focus changes. You you no longer kind of feel that pressure. You're now you're now just focusing on what you're going to go and deliver. Uh, and as soon as you get into that stage of things, the, the pressure the pressure goes. And, and you are solely focused on that. So you will you will talk through the whole display. You'll be thinking about what's happened, you know, which bits went wrong, how can I make it better? You'll then go and walk out to the aircraft and you're still focusing on that. And then as soon as you strap into the aircraft, that's all you're thinking about. So the pressure at that point goes out the window. Um, it, it's when you, you stop and think about it that, yeah, you feel pressure. And, uh, yeah, I don't think you'd be human if you didn't. And, and conversely to that, what's the moment of maximum enjoyment on a sortie? Good question again, because um, because you're so focused on what you're doing at the time. Um, and I remember being asked this before, and again, don't you don't you get a massive adrenaline rush when you do it? And maybe the first time you do it, you do, but then after that, you, all you're doing is concentrating on on making sure that it goes right and making sure that you're doing it better. Um, once you've landed, and you know you've had you've had a good show, and and you know once you've landed whether it's been a good one or a bad one, and and what your performance is like. Once you land from one and you know, you're able to just take a breath at that point and you know, you know it's been a good display, then you can just you can just sit back at that point and you know you can, you can be happy with what you've done. We um when we chatted to Dave Thomas, one of the things he said was it was after three years of it, he was kind of ready to move on. Mm. You know, and he he didn't you know, we he didn't initially miss miss it as much as we thought he might he might do. You've obviously had that 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 were you in a similar position and you're sort of to go back as, as leader is, is, is just a different different aspect or what were your thoughts on that yeah i think everyone's different when it comes to you know how how long is enough on the team before you want to go and do something different um dave finished as red six as i did and that's kind of the pinnacle as a as a team pilot there's no nowhere really to go after being red six you, you've led jippo that that's kind of it and yeah same for me after three years being red six in my final year i was ready to go and do something different so uh, initially i was i was ready to go uh, then i had a little period of mourning once i left the team uh, <laughs> looking back on it and going that was that was brilliant is anything ever going to compare to that again uh, then then three years away from the team um yeah you get kind of little pangs to go back and um now, being being red one is such a, an honour and a responsibility. Uh, when that opportunity uh, presented itself, 
um, I couldn't I couldn't say no. It was um, I had to go and do it. Um, uh, my last question will be: you, You're going to you've got three years probably of, of the team. You're going to have a lot of interviews and all this sort of rubbish like you got today. What would be the one question they that you wish they always asked? <laughs> you should have asked this at the beginning, James. <laughs> how, on, how on earth can I answer that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think you've I think you've answered most of them. And <laughs> um, yeah, the one I always like, which, which was answered in there, is um, they, um, do I want to make my mark on the team and all the rest of the stuff? Um, and just kind of reiterating and, and stressing the importance of the fact that you know that. The, it's the team that's famous and you know that's the important bit the, the team pilots we we just get to do it for a very short period of time um, and that's the bit that's important you know we yeah we're just those caretakers we want to hold that red suit do it all proud and then hand it over to the next person that will do as good a job or if not a better job than than i've done well said tom i think we'll leave it there thank you so much for joining us we wish you the very best of luck over the coming three years, starting with uh, the display season in 2021. I hope it's a real success for you. And, thanks and thank for the you so much for joining us. Perfect. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you, Tom. Well, huge thanks to squadron leader Tom Bold and best of luck to him and all the team for a great year ahead in 2021. Remember, you can keep in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Top Landing Gear and do email us with your comments and keep those questions coming for our aviation expert, James Cartner. Our email address is info at toplandinggear.com. That's info at toplandinggear.com with two Gs. And however you're listening to us, please recommend us to your friends and family and do leave a review, especially if you've enjoyed it. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And from all of us on Top Landing Gear, have a great Christmas and a very happy new year. See you in 2021. This is Top Landing Gear.